0: Hey, yo, what's good, what's good, what's good? Welcome to Reflections of a DJ, the road Podcast presented by DJ City and BeatSource. I'm one of your hosts, DJ Crooked. We have DJ Never here. Yo, what up? We got DJ D-Miles.
1: Yo, yo, what's good?
0: We got Jamie the Great. Yeah, what up, what up? And we got a special guest, a very, very good friend of mine who has an amazing party, Everyday People. Um, and it's a, they just launched their 2022 season this year. And uh, also with this guest... We just did the Dreamville Festival. He's a very good friend of mine. I feel like he's been on this podcast like, I don't know, this might be his fifth or sixth time here. You know? <laughs> Impossible. Like, you know, he's basically a co co-host at this point. You know, he's he's reaching the, the five-timers level of like a Saturday Night Live, like a Steve Martin mm-hmm. or Alec Baldwin or Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. We got the yeah. amazing, talented, I'm a piano producer, DJ Momo. What's good, man?
1: Yes, sir. Are Thanks you, for having me,
0: fellas. Nah, nah. We had to you know, we had to talk. We had to have you come on and talk about Dreamville Festival and the launch of Everyday People. For those of you who don't know what Everyday People is, it is one of I think it's the number one party in the country. I say that very confidently and it's been going on over 10 years even though he'd like to say it's timeless he doesn't want to like he doesn't want to announce how many years it's been out but it's been 10 plus years and 10 10 Let's not ten. age
2: it too much exactly <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly it's been 10
0: years and it's just it's it, you know it's just evolved into like this monster and it started in new york and he launched everyday people uh This year in L.A., it used to be at uh, Jardine, right? Le Le
2: Jardine, which is annexed to uh, Sunset Room.
0: And then you had to move it to a new venue. And I kind of want to talk to you about that because throwing an event in L.A. after the pandemic is like harder than it seems, right? Because everything pretty much closed and shit. And if not, everyone kind of shifted their businesses. They're not doing events anymore. Uh, So I want to talk about that. But this new space you have, which is the Beehive, it was like, I don't know. I I felt like there was 2,000 people there. It was insane. It was like a mini festival.
2: One thing that we're conscious about doing this year is we're kind of trying to consolidate. You know, um, 2020, before like the pandemic hit, we were going to do more cities than ever. Probably had like maybe close to like 18, 20 cities, right? Coming out of lockdown, I think we're taking a different approach. There's diminishing returns to try to get everywhere. It's... It's a lot of work to set up all those events it's truly it's very expensive to travel nowadays you know some of us are getting a little older my partner Maine made a very good analogy he was like you know delta doesn't fly out of poughkeepsie you know you want to get on a delta flight you got to drive to new york right delta doesn't fly out of i don't know fresno you gotta maybe drive to like sacramento or la so we're approaching everything like hubs you know our east coast hub northeast is new york Mm -hmm. southeast miami and atlanta uh west coast la and then uh up north you know we're trying to do toronto and uh, maybe detroit or chicago and then in europe we're consolidating to london because it's probably the most lit out of all the european cities we do and on the continent we're consolidating to south africa and maybe we're going to keep ethiopia because i have a soft spot for Ethiopia. But that's like kind of like the global strategy. And whereas we were gonna do Brazil in 2020, uh before the pandemic hit, I don't think it's in the cards anymore. So that's that's kind of like the strategy that's driving everywhere we're going.
0: Everything's still in transition though. Like not everything's opened up and we're also still feeling the after effects from the pandemic. So when you were throwing your shit in LA, I remember you even hit me up like yo, do you do you know any venues that we could throw this LA shit. I mean, this was even from last year, you know, ongoing to this year.
2: It's something that's very counterintuitive about Los Angeles. It has the most predictable weather in the world, and there's hardly any day party venues, you know. Yeah. Something that holds 800 to 2,000 people is very, very limited. And when Le Jardin, when they changed their business model to uh, just a restaurant and bottle service, um yeah because they
0: that's a that's a known venue they have all types of events there they had to the do over there they had all kinds of shit over there
2: for whatever reason you know they've been caking up they switched up their model and they're like you know why deal with 1800 with 1500 people when you can deal with like 250 and make twice the profit like i'm really not mad at them from a business standpoint they switched to like full-on restaurant with really expensive bottle service and, and they've been killing it and they've been very upfront with us like They held us down pre-pandemic. When the pandemic came, they were like, yo, this is our business model. This is how we're gonna stay alive. And we was with it, but to pivot and to find another venue was really, really hard. Um, Last year in 2021, we did a a venue called Rolling Greens and it was amazing. It was probably about the same size as Beehive LA, but it cost like 60 to $70,000 just to produce it, just to produce it. Now with sponsors and with ticket revenue and bar percentages, you know, we made a profit, but it's just that's too big of a of a lift. Shit. So we really lucked out this year with with the Beehive. It's in South Central Los Angeles. It's right off the rolling 60s. As I know, that's LA. crazy. It we was in the fucking hood, dog. <laughs> yo, you know,
3: it was
1: crazy when I was driving there because I literally I literally drove straight from Vegas and I, I have literally my great grandmother's house is almost in walking distance of that spot. And I grew up in that house and never even knew that that area existed. So for, for it to be like in the heart of South Central like that, it just had a, a, a energy, like a nostalgic energy for me. And it's beautiful. Being from L.A., that was that was, that was just insane, bro. Like and, nothing that I could have ever felt in Hollywood. You know what I mean?
2: And for us, it's just kind of like we're supporting a Black-owned venue, you know, mm-hmm. uh, with Black vendors and food trucks. And, you know, the majority of the people that come to that party are, are, are Black folks. So it just felt really like organic and symbiotic. And yeah, it's the hood. Black people, we're all kind of used to the hood. You just have to think smart, you know? Mm-hmm. You have to like valet, you know? You have to <laughs> walk closer to the venue. You know, don't walk off of... Is it Western or Central that's right there?
3: Central. Yeah. yeah.
2: Just drive, get your Uber to drop you off and pick you up. And and once you kind of like put these things in place, it's just as safe as anywhere. You know what I'm saying?
1: Like It really was. Like there was no... I felt like being amongst the people with nothing there was nothing about it that felt unsafe you know what I mean that's right it's a beautiful thing
2: and I love that alley on 61st street it kind of encloses the venue and and restricts the access Mm -hmm. so once you get into the alley safely hopefully by car by uber or what have you then you're in the party then you're in the venue and and then that is truly a safe space and and I'm not trying to say that in the sense that outside of it is Mayhem. Right. And in a war zone, it's not, you know, the, the area is being developed. But uh, as far as we're concerned, it, it wasn't that big a deal for us to throw a party in South Central. We did have a lot of people, though, push back like y'all motherfuckers are in the hood. Y'all know that, you know, Yeah, those, yeah, yeah, people to be the first on the guest list and to be the first at the party. They know who they are, you know.
0: It's funny because you were mentioning like a safe space, but it's like, you know, even when I talk to like some of the women that attend, some of the men that attend, like a lot of the women were like, yo, this is like, I feel very safe going to everyday people venue It's very inclusive. And it's like, I think we're having a conversation mode with some, some, you know, some lifers who, who've been going to everyday people. They went to the New York one. But they were kind of like, I mean, I'm sure they're gassing you up a little bit, but they were they were just saying like, yo, if I'm going to look for a dude or if I'm going to look for a man, I'm, I'm I'm looking for one at like an everyday people. I just know he's a little more woke. You know what I'm saying? He's like, he's going to act a certain way. He's not going to be like belligerent. He's not going to, you know, act crazy and he's not going to be all grabby and shit. It's like, it's like motherfuckers got to kind of act a certain way when they're at the party. You know what I'm saying? It's. And it makes the women feel safe, and it also makes like the LGBT community like safe as well, where they could just be themselves, and they could just wild out and dance and shit.
2: I mean, that's right. You know, it's a party that was st- started in downtown Manhattan, right? And it's it was a cross section of like creatives. Uh, I like to say civilians with artistic sensibilities. You know, like me, I was an engineer, but I was also DJing at the same time. So I was I was a civilian with artistic sensibilities, and of course the LGBTQ plus community and and where the party thrives the most is in cities where we're able to replicate that mix. And LA has it. LA doesn't have an overwhelming amount of options for LGBTQ people of color, you know, so everyday people is one of the primo ones in LA. Uh, if, If we're speaking plainly, it's probably gayer than any other everyday people. But it's fine. Like, you know, we fucks with it. And that's what creates what you call a safe space because um you know lgbtq people they're very big on community guidelines they're very big on codes of conduct they're very big on consent things that in like cis hetero world i'm, I'm not you know i could be wrong but i highly doubt that they have like a code of conduct
0: explain the code of conduct thing because like, i feel like not everybody knows what the fuck that shit is like never, well, do you, you know what I'm saying? Like never, do you know what a code of conduct is and shit when you walk? No, in I bench? don't see like, like shit like that.
2: Code of conduct is something that says we do not tolerate hate speech, bigotry, homophobia, transphobia, fatphobia, uh, you know, a- ableism, uh, n- none of that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's usually you,
0: it's usually displayed somewhere, right? It's like I'm about to ask you. So you have to t- everybody that goes into the party
2: they knows this, they see it on a display or on a flyer. It depends. It's it's posted in the caption. Okay. Like when we post a flyer on Instagram, we mm-hmm. have a condensed version of the, the code of conduct and the community guidelines in there for people to read. Um, certain venues that we partner with, like in New York, are very progressive. Like elsewhere, at elsewhere, which is in Bushwick in Brooklyn, it's prominently displayed. You know, mm-hmm. There's a big placard when you walk in. Now, there's mm-hmm. another venue called Nowadays which is more like Ridgewood Queens. Yeah. They put you through an orientation. You come in, there's the most fabulous black woman that says, we don't tolerate this. We don't wow. tolerate that. And if you if you can't get down with that, we're going to throw you out of here. And that's like 10 to 15 people at a time. It's like a little orientation, you know? It's like, and then- it's like
0: when you walk into Disneyland, you know, and you're getting on the exactly. rides and shit.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> please exactly. please keep your arms inside the, the vehicle no. and shit like that.
2: We try our best to communicate these guidelines without being overbearing. Mm -hmm. But if we partner with, like, really progressive venues that are on it, that are, like, you know, uh, putting on for the community uh, the most, then it's even more easy to, like, transmit the message. How long have you been doing this? Community guidelines? Yeah. But how Um, long have
3: you had to display
2: it, like you said, on your flyer? We started maybe in, like, 2019 because... You know, I'm not going to hold you. Everyday people is not like a bigoted space. So we didn't feel like we needed to formalize shit. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was kind of like, you come to everyday people, it's good vibes, it's good people. Yeah. But then we had an incident at a venue in a city that I'm not going to like name, where um, a a trans man was trying to use the men's room. Yeah. And uh, the bathroom attendant, 65-year-old black man, was like, hey, sweetheart, go to the ladies room, right? Yeah. And that person, as a trans man, as their identity, they were, they felt misgendered. They were, in fact, misgendered, right? Mm -hmm. And they wrote us a very nice email explaining, like, how problematic that was. So then we're like, oh, shit, we got to talk to the bathroom staff to tell them that if somebody identifies a certain way, then you just got to go with it. But if you're not sure and somebody is identifying as a man or as a woman, that that's the bathroom they should be able to use. Now, granted, we try to tell the venues, make all your bathrooms unisex. Yeah, no. And then you're home free. Right. Right. But that's not always the case. So 2019, that happened. Then the same summer at a venue uh, that no longer exists. So I'm happy to throw them under the bus. I think their name was the well, the security misgendered somebody in the security line Uh, in New York. We frisk. Sometimes we frisk the men. And we search Mm -hmm. the women's bags, right? Yeah, but we don't frisk women. And men usually don't have bags. So uh, this person was non binary. And they Uh pulled up and it was two lines. So you can already see where I'm heading here, right? Yeah, (laughs) the men's line and the women's line and this non binary person came up to the front of the line. And and the lady, security lady, was like, yo, sweetheart, come in. And they were like, I'm not a woman. And then the man was like, well, come here, my boy. And they were like, I'm not a man. Yeah. And, you know, the security wasn't trained. They weren't prepared for that. They know what the fuck was going on. <laughs> yeah. And now this person, unlike the, the person with the bathroom incident, they made a bigger deal of it. They went on their story. They were like, Everyday people, I thought it was a safe oh. space. How can y'all misgender me like that? Wow. Boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. So a pretty big magazine reached out to me, you know? <laughs> yeah. And they was just trying to be like, Everyday people, is it really a safe space, right? And I was kind of like tap dancing around it. I was like, listen, Everyday people is a very welcoming space for everyone. But in this specific case, this is uh, an incident that we had never encountered. So we learned on the job. And furthermore, security is the venue's responsibility. Now, we now know to train security moving forward. Mm -hmm. But in my mind, I was kind of like, you know, don't cancel me. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Don't cancel (laughs) me over this. And I got lucky because that person was writing that piece. And I think what they had in mind, they were comparing all the parties that are truly LGBTQ safe spaces like like poppy juice and like other that and the, the parties that have like a chaperone you know with like a bright hat if something happens you see a chaperone we, we didn't have that kind of infrastructure so i think they were gonna write they were gonna they were gonna rank all these parties but then i got lucky because frank ocean went and threw the worst party of all time uh in brooklyn <laughs> and that took over the news cycle Immediately. Uh-huh. <laughs> he took the heat off of you <laughs> <laughs> He was trying to do a Sex positive LGBTQ Party where like like Harken back to the old days Before HIV where you know If you want to get your freak off you could get your freak Off or what have you <laughs> And it was going to be totally a safe space And then everybody from the LGBTQ POC Community went there was like It's all white motherfuckers From fashion, from arts this uh-huh. is totally an appropriated environment. So the entire media, the entire Twitter sphere, they shifted their target on uh, Frank Ocean. Uh-huh. and I was off the hook. And then Frank Ocean threw the party again a week or two later. And this time they did the right thing. They had poppy juice hosting. They had all the people of color stakeholders in the community hosting. And, and the story kind of went away. And in the interim, you know, it gave us the opportunity to be like, yo, we got to tool up. Yeah. We got to make sure these community guidelines are published. We got to make sure we train security, we train venues, bartenders, we train our guest DJs, um, you know, so to to limit those kind of incidents. And, you know, so far, knock on wood, uh, it's been working out. It's good. It's
0: funny because I was, you know, I was with you the time when all of this was going on. This is like kind of like a two, three week span, right? Where we were kind of like hanging out and it'd be like 3am in the morning and you're like drafting these emails, like a response and you're like. You're like, "Crook, how does this sound? How does this sound?" And you're like, "I'm gonna switch this around." You send it to people. You're like revising the draft and everything. And it was like, it was pretty stressful though, because it was kind of like, you don't know how the media is gonna take this, you know, or the press is gonna handle this, and they could they could just really just go after you guys. You know what I'm saying? It was just, and it was just, it was really unwarranted because you guys were just in a place of good, and it was just one of those incidents where you had to just like kind of educate yourself educate the staff and just kind of evolve as things move forward and everything
2: i had to put on my aclu like lawyer hat and i'm not a member of the aclu and i'm not a (laughs) lawyer but that's how i had to like draft everything i had to be very very careful on that interview um you know
3: so moment you handle all the pr yourself you don't have a firm or anybody working with
2: you no we ain't got no pr we ain't got no pr if we're doing an event with a with a brand like we just did L.A. with Diageo, uh-huh. they have a whole PR machine behind them, yeah. and they'll want to interview me or they want to interview my partner Sada, so on and so forth, because they have their own kind of like earned media metrics and stuff that they need to hit, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we don't, we don't have PR. It's you know, it's social media and the people. The people wow. are our PR.
0: You know. I'm wondering in, in the case of uh, the incident. Where it was like, you know, where security wasn't trained? What, what did they do moving forward when someone non-binary comes through? What, what is the, the new procedure?
2: You, you ask them to choose. You'd be like, listen, do you want to be patted down? You have to step in the men's line. Do You want us to search your bags? Then you got to get in the, in the women's line. But mm. you still can't circumvent security no matter what your identity is. You know what I mean?
0: Right, 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 right. It's, it's funny because a lot of people throw their own parties, you know, and it, they have it on a smaller scale and it grows slightly and slightly. But as it grows, there's just so much more that you have to handle. So even last year when you guys did it in Rolling Greens, which was like that looked insane because you had barricades set up, you had security, you had your own bar set up. I mean, like just organizing how many tables you need, how many banners you need, how many security you know what is the what is the map how to map things out? where do we station everything? That shit is a lot of work even when we were uh, we were at the sound central one th- this year, the one that you guys just launched at the Beehive. you know the way it was organized was great. the space was great. And honestly, I was very impressed. I was like, yo, this was really easy to get into. The layout was amazing. The sound was really spectacular. like you guys went all out on sound because there wasn't one section of wherever the fuck I was standing, where I was like, yo, the sound sound like shit. It sounded yeah, that, legit everywhere, yo.
1: That sound was insane. I actually yeah. heard the party before I saw it.
0: Yeah, like, I'm saying like we, we all felt the bass like two blocks away as we're pulling up. Like The, the cars yeah. were rattling. So I was like, yo, this motherfucker did not skimp on sound. But <laughs> I know this is 10 years of you throwing your own parties and having to do all of this shit.
2: 10 years of throwing everyday people.
0: Right. Only 20 years
2: my own parties 20 right?
0: years of doing your own shit that's right <laughs> <laughs> but i, I years knew years. i saw that experience of just like how you lead people you know, where's the bar set up you want to make sure you know it, it, the bar is accessible pretty much everywhere you know what i'm saying and like where the tables are at or like where everyone's stationed i think the only thing you didn't uh you didn't foresee is how many people would sneak up on stage with you in the DJ booth, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, we we actually had a call about that yesterday, how to manage the stage. Because um, in in New York, we have all our dancers, you know, our, our our Afrobeat dancers, they and our South African, they provide so much energy, and they kind of unofficially run the stage. You can't just pull up on them. L.A., we we don't have that same community of dancers. They do exist. But they're not like our homies like that. We don't know everyone personally, right? So the stage is smaller. And L.A., let me just rephrase this. Hollywood there's a real desperation for proximity <laughs> and to be seen. So this stage was pretty quiet. It was just myself DJing and uh, my host, Jito. By the way, shout out to DJ Sugar Shay and DJ Tiger. They killed the early set from three to six. They bodied that shit. I did from like six to 15 to 10, just me and Gito. And I was up there doing my thing. I was working hard, but I was truly missing my dancers, right? Truly missing them. like, man, the energy they bring in New York, they give so much to the crowd. It takes a lot of the heat off of me. I can let songs play longer. I can play deeper records, so on and so forth. But I just felt like I was kind of like slamming joints nonstop. And then Janelle Monae gets on stage and you know, she gives me the eyes and I know she's just she loves ratchet music. And I think I might have played make it rain. Travis Porter into like a whole Waka Flocka set. And she started twerking to the crowd in front of me for like 15 minutes and and you know, that's why I love her to pieces because she gave so much energy to that crowd. And I was like, wow, everybody's going crazy. The heat is off of me. I feel like I have somebody else entertaining the audience. And then boss pulled up on stage with diddy you know and diddy was there like just like chilling taking it easy okay this is this is the
0: moment this is the moment diddy has arrived at everyday people right mr bad boy himself mr take that mr take that take that take that came to everyday people right yep what what does this do for everyday people janelle Monet has been a a long time friend of everyday people and the party and you guys. Diddy yeah. walking into your party is a completely different thing, you know what I'm saying? When I think it of Diddy, is. I think of Live Sundays. You know what I'm That's saying? Right. A completely That's right. different. When entity. I think of Diddy, I think of the tunnel, a tunnel,
3: right? Biggie and shit.
0: There's a long history with Diddy. You know what I'm saying? Everyday People is not a spot I would think he would come up. You know, he and he would roll up like let's. Let me kill. give
2: you a little context. I'll give you okay. a little context.
0: You can't um, just say oh, and then Boss came in with Diddy. You know what I'm saying? Right. That shit makes. <laughs> How the, fu- how the fuck is Boss cool with Diddy?
1: <laughs> like when nope. did that happen?
3: <laughs> no <Nope. laughs> disrespect to Boss, story. but come on, Diddy man.
2: This <laughs> is the backstory, you know. I think Boss was in a session with Diddy last year in the Bahamas, and you know how how was lead-
0: that? How in the Bahamas? Who was there? He got invited. What happened?
2: Yeah, I think he got invited. I think Ali was mixing. Uh, mixed by mixed Ali. By Ali. Mm -hmm. who is the engineer behind all the TDE hits, right? You know, boss are really tight. Ali's my dog. He's been to South Africa with us a bunch of times. Really cool, dude. And I think however this the connects worked out. I mean, like, mind you, like boss, He's no small thing, you feel me? That's Dreamville, that's Cole, that's my brother Eve, and all of that. They're all like big time. And if our listeners
0: (laughs) don't know, boss is MoMA's younger brother, and you're also your younger brother is Eve, who's the president of Dreamville and manager to J. Cole. That's right. So it's all this Hamad brothers uh, in the Dreamville universe.
2: Industry (laughs) ecosystem, right? Like, I'm the nightlife, I'm on the DJ, I'm on the party side of things. They got this whole ecosystem and uh, how boss ended up in that session in the Bahamas. I don't know, but it's not far fetched. Right. It's really not far fetched. Uh, It's a little
0: it's a little weird. It's a little weird. It's a little like I wouldn't connect those two, but somehow they connected. All right.
2: I probably wouldn't either. But there's been (laughs) there's been weirder pairings. There's been more unexpected pairings. Yeah. in the music industry,
0: because we we think about you know Diddy's catalog, it's like Hello, Good Morning, and then it's like I look at Boss, and you know it's very different, different like directions in music. So I would never but, think, you but, know.
2: But you hit the nail on the head. Diddy is moving in a more soulful R and B, feel good direction. That's yeah. the kind of music he wants to put out. I think um, for the past few years, his social media has been about love and unity and all of that. You know, and that message isn't necessarily consistent with like, you know, fuck hoes, fuck bitches, et cetera. So I think he's moving in another direction. He's probably becoming a bit older, you know, uh, and, and it's less here for the ratchetness, but he might prove me wrong on <laughs> sometime next week. Right. But, but the thing is, he's moving into that soulful, feel good, like happy vibes kind of space. I think for himself personally, you know, and he had seen um, stories from everyday people in L.A. last year. I think one of his right hand people was there and uh, he had seen the stories and he literally DM'd homie like, fuck is this party? Where the niggas is dancing? What is this party? I need to know about <laughs> everybody's dancing, you know?
0: Because, and- because typically in hip hop parties, especially like live, these big room hip hop parties, right? These mega hip hop joints. Even in Hollywood. like even in down south and strip clubs, nobody's dancing. Especially, no, it's
1: just always a look.
0: Fellas ain't dancing. They smoking hookah. They popping bottles. They throwing ones in the air. They are doing, you know what I'm saying? They're throwing, making it rain. But never are you seeing like the Migos and like all these ATL motherfuckers like you know doing the electric slide or doing any shit like that together. But That's then right. a- everyday people, it's a completely different thing, right?
2: And last year. We didn't really get to connect I think predominantly because we did our party in LA in a very small window after the vaccine came out but before delta hit and that was kind of like that was a good window in the United States in the summer to actually throw parties yeah. because people were vaccinated and if you weren't vaccinated you can just have a proof of a negative test you kind of
0: you, kinda, you delta, yeah you kind of like snuck one in right before
2: the delta snuck one the, in. The,
0: yeah <laughs> before the delta shit hit yeah
2: when delta came through delta was so savage we were like, now nah, we're not playing with that negative test nonsense, you know, like we've got to be vaccinated. And and I think after Delta hit, we went vaccinated plus a negative test, mm. you know. Yeah. So while that allowed us to still throw the parties in New York, it just kind of wrote off L.A. totally because the vast majority of the people we knew in nightlife and entertainment were just not vaccinated, man. Yeah. They just mm. they weren't here for it. So we did that one event in July. I think it put it on on Diddy's radar. But we were never able to follow up with meetings, with another event, with what have you. Um, and then this was the first one in LA. And through Boss and through his right hand people, you know, they made sure he was there so he could witness it firsthand. And, you know, he had a good time, man. He was on stage, him and Janelle Monet led the swag surf, people going crazy, you know. Then after that, he was off the stage, just dancing on the side. He was just having a good time. I really like that aside from just one security dude, which is not a lot, aside from one security dude, there was really not much difference between him and the average everyday people person. That's
1: crazy you mentioned that, because I remember me and Jamie were standing off to the side and we saw Diddy coming towards us. We were like, what is he doing? And then he just literally just came with a a group of people that were in the crowd and they just started dancing. And in my head, head, I'm like, damn, you would never see Diddy dancing at a live or at a Greystone or like any of these other spots like hollywood, new york, wherever, right? Like he was just so in in like immersed with the people and just dancing and having a good time. Like it was it was kind of like a, a ill moment for me to see that shit, bro. Yeah,
0: with 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 a bunch of strangers just like, Yeah, a bunch you know? of
1: strangers like he didn't care that they were taking pictures. He was just literally just vibing to the music that you were playing.
0: And I I was yeah, I was on the side. I was like I got to get this. I got to get this. <laughs> so I got the whole shit on I had him just like sipping yeah, a drink. You know, vibing the fuck out. You know, and, and that it was, shit was crazy. It was perfect timing because Young Jock is going down. Came out. That's a bad boy joint. So he was, he was kind of in his, in his, he was in his, <laughs> Yo, his, his bag a
1: really little bad. bit. It was a bad boy joint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was doing like his Diddy Bop. He was just, he was feeling it, bro. It was crazy.
0: So you know, like Diddy was having a ball. at Everyday people, he was enjoying himself. It was, it was crazy. And then all of a sudden, the most thirsty motherfucker ever went up to, <laughs> went up to Diddy, right and fucked up his whole mood, yo. Like literally fucked up his whole mood. <laughs> Jamie the <laughs> great, right? He says he, you know, like he he's like I'm best friends with Quincy, you know, Diddy was like a stepfather to me and shit like that. This dude goes up to Diddy and Diddy like, you know, was kind of like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," like, you know, you ever seen that um that Jay-Z uh the documentary on uh MTV when he was like in the south? And there was like a promoter in the club in the South that was like harassing Jay. And after a while, Jay just pushed the shit out of him. You don't remember that shit? Do you remember
3: that? (laughs) Nah, I don't.
0: (laughs) There was this like, uh, I don't know, this MTV, like inside the music shit, they followed like Jay on tour. And he was in the South, like he was at some down South club. This promoter kept going in his ear. And then Jay, after a while, just like pushed the shit out of was like, get the fuck away from me. Get the fuck. (laughs) I felt like Diddy was like this close. To doing that with Jamie, Jamie, what was your conversation like with Diddy? What the fuck did you say to him?
3: I just went. I, I you play me out, bro. <laughs> uh, you, you're making it sound I'm not thirsty. One, two. I you know. I, I know. Came I came across I know. Him I know. I, I'm fucking with you I'm many with times. You. It's okay. I'm fucking with uh, you. No, I just went up to him because it it kind of like we me and D were standing there from the beginning, right? Right, D we were standing there, yeah. we're hanging out, and then I was like, oh, Diddy's on stage with MoMA. And, like, I don't know what drew him to me and D. And then after a while, like, his security guards kind of pivot me to the corner. And I'm, like, two feet away from Diddy. And, like, this is my best friend's dad. I'm, like, this is kind of weird if I don't say anything. And, like, you know, I know he hasn't recognized me. He didn't see me. So I was just like, oh, let me just say something. And then I tapped him on the shoulder. And he's like, oh, shit. And then I was like, oh, it's good to see you. And he's like, yo, I haven't seen you. And then we talked. I asked him. He, words, he didn't say but, it was
0: good to see you, too? He didn't say, yeah.
3: <laughs> oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm, inter- I'm interrupting his diddy Bob. And then I was like. You were like, yo, it's so good to see you. He's like, yeah, 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 I see you. I see you. <laughs> uh, and then I, my first instinct was like, yo, where's Quincy? Because usually if he's going to an event like this, Quincy will be with him. Yeah. But then he was like, Quincy's in Beverly Hills doing some shit for some sunglasses. Uh, with his with his sisters and I was like oh okay cool, and then I was like it's dope to see you here, and he was like yeah yeah, and then I was like <laughs> okay he wants to kind of get back into the you know the whole festivities, so I went in for the dab and he gave me the fist bump so it was one of those <laughs> like you sure, but, but now Jamie not only that you had your arms around him yeah. but that was like Ugh, your Ugh, best friend, Ugh. you see was everybody wants like yo. Yeah. Yo, you know, it was one of those fumbles. But look, if, if just <laughs> he was playing like on, he was playing rock, paper, scissors with Diddy. He was like <laughs> <laughs> No But it was if I didn't know him and he didn't feel comfortable, he would have like gave me one of the like get off of me. But I'm telling you, like it was yeah. just like I kinda got I don't know it was a weird situation and then d miles kind of like drifted away from me so i was like oh okay yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was dope to see him there it was really dope to see them right because um i wanted to say this earlier the only time i've ever seen him dance like that or feel comfortable like that is at his own house parties so to see that in a in south central around regular people yeah. and i love that nobody and i've been in instances when he's in a hollywood club and it's kind of like a swarm of bees goes after him. And this, he kind of got to like, like the people brought him in, like if he was just a regular person. So it was dope to see that shit, to be honest with you. So i never seen him that comfortable dancing outside of his house like that. So that shit was pretty sick to see. That's sick, man.
0: We have to, yeah, no. we have to name that that handshake, though, when the hand wraps around the fist. You know what i the- When you try to give an open pound like open hand pound to somebody and then they fist you and then you kind of do like like a a Burger King wrapper <laughs> on a on a on the, on the, on the yeah, burger, was, like you wrapping a Burger King Whopper together. You know what I'm saying? It, it like
1: was I got you. <laughs> it's like you trying to close the fist was a little yeah. too late, so it's yeah, just was like like like, a, um, a awkward like hand hug kind
3: yeah, of thing. Yeah, because I went in for the dab because we <laughs> dapped up before that, yeah. and then I was going, "All right, it's gonna be that," and it was this, and I was like, "Oh," and then I look and I see Cricket recording me. We should enter that now. <laughs> And so he recorded I'm like, oh shit, he got that. And I was like, it's gonna be it's gonna be on his Instagram. He wasn't gonna say shit, right? <laughs> you could play it off like yeah, it's all good. You no, know- I mean it happens. It's a fumble uh one of these, but um yeah, it was just one of those things I was it's like a Fumble um,
2: fist. That's what we call a it. Fumble,
3: fumble fist. fist. I feel like if fumble, fumble fist,
0: I feel like if you talk to an OG or somebody, you gotta be careful about the wraparound arm too, man. Like I yeah. feel like you gotta yeah, you gotta watch I, that shit,
3: bro. But I've been around that family since I was like eighteen. Yeah, like, but he I, but he's
0: like taller than you too, so it don't even make sense. It was just kind of like you were like you I, know
3: I was like I, no, <laughs> I I went to hold the shoulder because you kind of have the, the speakers was loud. You
0: were, you were forcing him to talk to you like kind of shit. Like you ain't going away, <laughs> motherfucker.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but I do got I do got to give him this. He had very uh, minimal security from what I'm used to seeing it's usually like eight motherfuckers with him this was only like two to three people in his assistant so it was it was it was dope to see that shit even in south central like he was by himself really
0: yeah so no you know i'm gonna tell you something i was filming because i will give you props i was shocked that he would he knew he did recognize you and he was talking to you but i just so happened to capture you know (laughs) yeah the uh the rock paper scissors moment and then, uh, but no, but I was I was actually capturing because I thought it was like cute that you guys knew each other and you were like saying what's up and everything like that. No,
3: because it was it was a dope, it was a cool moment to see him witness you know yeah. something one of our, one of our boys has built, and it's like like it's not it's hard to get Pete like you have to pay Diddy to be at your party, yeah, and, and the, the, the ticket's not cheap, and for him to just show up and show love to Mo. And and it was it was an incredible thing to see. And it was just dope. It was a full circle coming around. So I was just like, oh shit, it's dope. But um <laughs> yeah, I also wanted to, I wanted to add to this, Mo, I gotta give you props and Dimas if you want to jump in. You brought culture to LA that we've never seen before. And being from LA, I'm sorry, bro. If anybody takes offense to this, no, you know, that's on you. But no party in LA has done what you've done. Uh being an outside party uh from New York to coming to l a but I've never seen a party in the hood like that outside of a house party that gets raided by the cops by ten p m so right. you brought a whole ass culture that the West Coast has never seen no
1: yeah you know? yeah there's there's probably not too much I can add to that other than um the parties that I was exposed to early that had that kind of energy but um and just felt safe completely safer more of like on the jazz culture side because my grandparents were heavy into jazz and reggae culture so those would be the events that um you could do in the hood and you felt completely safe but on the level of what you're doing with caribbean music and hip-hop and afro beats and all the things that you're bringing to the table like the west coast hasn't seen anything like that so props to you bro because yeah, that was a hell of an experience
3: and, and and those parties that he's mentioning were like end of the summer parties and yeah. they were like at a, they were like at a park and there was no entrance. It was kind of like, you know, it was promoted a lot, but that's the whole summer. Yeah. Sorry. That's the whole summer. And you just did it. You're doing it, you know, every other month from what it's look li- looking like. So I'm giving you props for that. I'll give you your flowers for that. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, you know,
2: I like the fact that he can kind of like experience the, the energy. And there were, there were some other like famous people in there. Saweetie was there. Uh, you know, obviously, like Janelle Monae, Jaden Abbas, that's all family. They've been supporting the party since day one. Um, and I don't know who else was in there, like there's some actors and things of that nature. But I like that they all experienced it through the lens of everyday people.
3: Moma, since Diddy was at your party, are you worried it's going to ruin your party? Like a bunch of rappers, actors going to be there and it's going
2: to... The only way would ruin the party... Is that there was eight hundred celebrities there, and that's never going to be the case. Like the people are always going to like dominate and set the vibe, right? Yeah, celebrities have to fall in line with the program that's already happening versus the opposite.
0: You it's good to see because, you know, I've seen it. I've seen how much work you put in over the decades and decades on into this shit, and I, I want like kind of the younger DJs and you know our listeners to know that this shit takes. A long fucking time, and it's like everyday people. Just you know, wasn't started five years ago or nothing. It's like accumulation of, of experience for twenty years, like you just said. You know what I'm saying? And they re- and I can really see it when you expand a party to two thousand people, and it's running smoothly. Knock on wood. You know what I'm saying? It's it's really a testament. So I want to big you up, and I want to big up your whole staff. And I know how hard your staff works, and your you know your partners, all friends. You know,
2: we have the greatest team, man. Sada, Sinclair, Maine, Giselle, Eris. We got our hospitality people, Caslon, Chito on the mic, Shernita hosting and dancing. I mean, that could go on and on. Even our door people are part of our culture. You know, in LA, we have Henri, Mark Henry, and Alaska. You know, just their vibe, what they project from the door is very important because that's the first part of the experience. So, you know, our content team. Nani, our videographer Nani is more than a videographer. He's borderline a host now because so many people know him and they're so comfortable around him, they really serve. They give him a lot when he puts them behind the lens in front of the lens. I, you know you what know, I mean?
0: I love that you notice how talented uh, your photographers and videographers are. You really champion them a lot of, I mean, you champion a lot of the people that you work with. But your videographers and your photographers, you really champion them. They've actually created the look and with you, you know, of what everyday people looks like to to the point where other parties and other cities are copying your flyers. They're copying. They are even taking the pig, your pictures, right? They're literally taking recap pictures from everyday people and they're posting it and they're making it their flyers. And they'll be like, yo, come to, you know, feels good Sundays. You know what I'm saying? And it's every it's everyday people crowd and shit.
2: Yeah, somebody said that we're borderline becoming a stock photography database for Black Joy. (laughs) (laughs) Which is interesting because that could be another business. I don't know if I'm interested in getting into that, but we do have the rights to all those photos. I just feel kind of weird about using people's likeness like that, even though technically I have the right to it because of like the the terms of usage and the rights that are involved uh, with the ticketing aspect of things but yeah i mean it's 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 like a database of black george stock photography
0: you you actually i don't want to put you on blast but you did go in on some miami motherfuckers right who took who were taking like a lot of your images and visuals and they were using it for like one of their parties and basically trying to like emulate an everyday people vibe kind of right
2: not not just miami there, there was like there was two instances in Miami. There was two instances in Brooklyn. Um, there was an, a couple of instances elsewhere. Um, you know, Brooklyn. I knew the folks, so I was just like, "Yo, if you're gonna use our photo, credit our photographer, Kadeem." You know, Kadeem is he's the day one photographer of everyday people, and he's the one who really set that whole tone of capturing moments as opposed to posing like you know those nightlife websites. Um, and in, in, Miami, I didn't really know the folks, but I was like, Hey, you guys are using everyday people photo at the very least, um, you know, credit us or something like that, you know, or give us a shout. And then they hit me up in the DMS like, Oh, or no, they hit me up in the comments. Like, Oh, I thought everyday people was for the people. I was <laughs> like, Oh no, nah, this is some full bullshit." At that point I was like, take it down. I'm not even talking to you. I don't know who you are. And I think they took it down or maybe they didn't. But I I do have like a threshold of tolerance for stuff like that, because I understand that, you know, black people, we haven't been portrayed that wildly, that universally with images of joy and happiness. Right. Like this is relatively a new thing. We've been able to take shape of the dialog thanks to social media. Right. Before social media, there's two people Two black people featured in People Magazine or what have you. You know what I mean? We had to go to our own map. Now, with social media, you know, black people are everywhere. People understand how we move, taking over Twitter. You know, like I always say, there's no such thing as black Twitter. It's just Twitter, you know? And by the same kind of like frame of thinking, I think the photos that we put out there, they're pictures of other people. You know what I mean? We're using their likeness with their consent. So, if somebody wants to use it, they can just hit us up. But Cass is just like fraudulently, you know, just trying to like use them without approval or without hollering at us. I just think it's a violation, you know? So I have to let a few people know.
0: It's weird. Cause it's flattering, but it's just, it's just like blatantly stealing at the same time. It's like trying to capitalize off of like a, a formula that's working, but having like literally no intention. Like it's like, it's not upholding any of the, the same oh. intentions at all. It's just, just, trying to make a quick buck on something that they feel is maybe, you know, trending at the moment.
2: How can I say this? When like the sensibilities of an industry change and everybody does the same thing and, and it's cool. You know what I'm saying? Like every everyday people didn't invent day parties. You know, I was, I became introduced to like outdoor day parties through the do over. And I was like, wow, this is an incredible concept. You know, why don't I do this for people of color in New York, you know, where day parties in New York, prior to everyday people was, you know, bagatelle champagne brunch, which is like Euro douchey, mm-hmm. or you had Danny Crivet doing January first, which is a legendary day party to house party. It's inside of a nightclub. But it doesn't have the elements of like outdoor and sunlight and so on and so forth. We adjusted the sensibilities where day parties become so wildly accepted for black people that people call them brunch parties, even when there isn't food. It's weird, you know, (laughs) people just say, I'm going to a brunch. And so, um, you know, all this to say that I understand that people want to like, they're not necessarily imitating or copying It's just what the industry is doing. But you can't go and take our IP, our intellectual property, other people's likeness, you know,
0: I noticed in LA, you played a lot less Afro beats and i piano and dance hall and soca, but then you would normally in New York, you know what I'm right. saying? And we always have this conversation. We have this all the time about the difference in New York and LA and shit. But you, I, I really, I mean, over the past few years, you, you noticed that and you have to like pull back on that shit. Cause I know when I go to the, the New York everyday people, it's predominantly dance hall, Afro beats, I'm a piano, and even Afro house where you're playing Afro house for a little bit at the, towards the end.
2: I think in, in, in New York, the mix is like 50% hip hop and R&B and then 50% Afro Caribbean. And then... Depending, and in the Afro-Caribbean, I throw like Dembo and reggaeton, and uh, and in the hip hop and r and I'll throw like Jersey Club and stuff like that, which which kind of goes off. When you're in LA, it ends up being 60%, 65% hip hop and R&B, you know? Because I, I can only but go so deep in the crates, especially because so many people are discovering the party. These are not like the, the day one LA people who came to the party in 2015. There's so many new people. But we'll, you know, we'll work them. We'll educate, and I'm pretty sure that the ratio is going to move more in the favor of Afro Caribbean. It won't ever be that 50% like New York, but you know, if it's like 55, 45, whatever, I'm with it. You know,
0: because I'm a piano. is so big in New York, right? It's popping off in of New York, Africa, and Miami, probably too as well. And Little, yeah. Yeah, and I'm kind of wondering. I'm, I feel like everyone's calling everything Afro beats. They don't know the difference between i Piano and Afro Beats. And you dropped a whole, you know, a couple of EPs of your own production with i Piano. And even still everyone that I know that loved what, you know, everything that you dropped, you know what I'm saying, which was dope. They still like, you know, they think it's Afro Beats. They, they, they still kind of put it in this realm of Afro Beats. So I kind of want you to kind of. You know, kind of break down. I'm a piano, and just give us a little bit of education on the shit right now. You know what I'm saying? Because it is, it is popping and it's growing, and we're hearing it more and more. And I think it's inevitable before, you know, pop culture or pop producers start incorporating it into pop music at some point. You know what I'm saying? And I'm starting to hear it a little bit. You know.
2: Um. Yeah. Well, well, I'm a piano is is South African Afro beats it's predominantly nigerian but there's a lot of artists from ghana who make afro beats. there's a lot of artists from you know tanzania who make afro beats. and then you just kind of end up hearing afro beats production on a lot of stuff coming out of the uk even coming out of the states right but it's something that's centered around nigerian music and it's kind of mixed with like Loosely, dance hall production and some R and B style arrangements, right? That's that's the Afro beats. That's Whisked essence. Amapiano is 100 uh, percent South African, and depending on who you ask, it either originated in the townships of Johannesburg or the townships of Pretoria, and it, it's take, it takes a lot of elements from Kwaito. And Kwaito has a truly interesting history because it came out in the mid 90s. Because what you got to understand about South Africa is during apartheid, there were no South African artists being showcased. You know what I mean? There were no pop black South African artists. So when apartheid was officially ended in 94, you had recording artists that started to emerge. And what a lot of people from the hood did is they took house music, like 120, 125 BPM, and slowed it down to 105 Mm. And just wrapped over it, you know, so they invented this kind of like style of rap that went with house music that slowed down at 105 bpm. If you fast forward 20 plus years, what they created in the townships with, with Amapiano is that they sped up the house that was slowed down to 105. They sped it back up to 110, 113 bpm. They added real jazzy chords. And after about a year of that, they introduced the same style of rap vocals from Quito and overlaid it on top of the Amapiano. So that's what you have now. And then the edition, the like the, the 2020 edition, is that really big boom, 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 mm-hmm. log drum, which is a preset in um, FLS, in Fruity Loop Studio. So that's kind of what Amapiano is. And it has a very, like, militaristic kind of snare, which comes from another genre from the 2000s over there that they called Bacardi. So it's, it's a mixture of all these influences. And it's creating this crazy mix that we have right now. It's tailor made for the way that South African people party. I always say this when people try to ask me about like the cultural differences. If you're in Lagos, if you're partying in Lagos in Nigeria, in one night in a six hour span, you're gonna go to six parties, you are spend an hour everywhere, bottles are gonna come out everywhere. You're going to hear the same songs everywhere. You're going to bump into the same celebrities, promoters everywhere. In a six hour span in South Africa, you go to one party and you stay there for six hours. And it's like a slow build and people get progressively drunker and drunker, but no one really gets washed until the very end, which is pretty impressive. You know, (laughs) six hours of drinking, and partying and the music is made that way it has a really long build up about a minute a minute and a half then the drum comes in the lock drum then they break it down again for about 16 bars And then they pick it up again. You know, you're supposed to let all of that happen. Certainly in South Africa, you have to, you know, when you're playing on the rest of the continent in the UK and the States, maybe when that breakdown happens, maybe you could mix out into something else. But that's in a nutshell, that's I'm a piano. And that's the culture of it. That's the way it's that's the reason why it's made that way.
0: And it's it's a harder drum, it's a harder beat, right? The beats are harder, it's like it's it's just it hits a lot harder compared to like uh Afro beats. And it's like about five to ten BPMs faster usually. Yeah,
2: right? it's currently it's all between one twelve and one fifteen, currently. But it used to be between one ten and one thirteen. So I'm foreseeing a shift where it's gonna keep getting a little bit faster. A lot of the Afro Tech house that used to be at one twenty five It's slowed down to 122, 120. So I just think next year they're gonna meet, but that's where it is right now. It's between 112 and 115 BPM. And it it does hit harder than Afro beats, but at the same time, the buildup is very chill. It's very mellow. So it's a contrast between two energies, you know? Afro beats, if you hear essence come in, you got, that's pretty much the whole beat, you know? From the first eight bar, you got the entire beat. And then uh, the arrangement is based on vocals, and maybe layering additional synths.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm a piano, they give you nothing for about a minute and a half. They give you a shaker, some perks, and some keys. That's all you're getting. And then, about the minute and a half mark, you get the bass line, you get the snare, you get like the lasers, you get everything. And so it, it's a contrast.
0: Wait, can, can you give me like your top five I'm a piano tracks right now?
2: If you're playing to a mainstream audience, yeah which at this point would be familiar with Afro beats, but introduce Amapiano with, you know, what the Nigerian people call Afro piano. By the way, South African people take exception to that. They don't like people renaming the genre. They don't think that a lot of these other variations coming from other countries are Amapiano. If I'm DJing in the States, and I'm trying to introduce the Ama Piano set. My top five songs would be this hybrid of Ama Piano and Afro Beats Mona Lisa, Lo J, and Sars. Mm-hmm. to Afrobeat's record but a tremendous Amapiano production Champion Sound Davido and Focalistic that is actually one of those afro piano records that are accepted by south african people because focalistic is one of the biggest rappers in terms of rapping over amapiano mm-hmm. and he's south african we all know who davido is you know huge artist so you got champion sound you got mona lisa you also got the amino amapiano you wanna chill with the big boys yeah. you wanna bomb bomb <laughs> You want to bamba? You wanna cheat with the big boys?
3: Now you don't want kitty You don't want get the better? Cup it's
2: like butterscotch cup. You know, it, it still goes off. I think it's a bit of a gimmicky track. I don't love it, like. When I love I, it. It. I love saying so, that over and over we, again.
1: Before we were recording, Cookie kept saying it over and over, and I was like, "What
3: is that? You want like, the bamba?
0: <laughs> you want the bamba? You want to chill with the big boys? Yo, I, I want to get into beef with somebody, <laughs> and yeah. I want to say that shit to their face, like, like you know what I'm saying, right before we're about to scrap. Like, oh shit, you you want the bamba? You know what I'm saying? You want to chill with the big boys? That's what I want to do. <laughs> I can't wait to say that. I think the lyric is You want to chill with the big boys But I like You want to G with the big boys I like that one better Yeah, it's definitely chill <laughs> You want to G with the big boys
2: Another one that was really big In in 2021 Was Paradise
1: Paradise <laughs> That
2: one is straight up South African, but Paradise kind of crossed over a little. So if you're doing that Amapiano 101 set, you could throw it in there. But now, if you're asking me what are the top five Amapiano records that I'm playing for a South African crowd, like a really deep I'm a piano crowd totally different none of those records make the cut maybe champion sound would paradise because it's from early 2021 would be played out it would be like an opener record so there's obviously there's the song that uncle waffles uh that beautiful dj from south africa who went viral on twitter uh through that song is called adiwele Adiwele is by Young Stunner and it's produced by Kabza the Small. Uh, That is still huge to this day in South Africa. You got Trigger, Trigger went viral on TikTok. That's the ah choo 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 ah choo choo choo
1: choo.
2: I don't know if you guys are familiar. If I sound crazy, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> You got sixty six by Fellow Latte and Mistro. 66 also has a viral dance uh, that went crazy on TikTok. Uh, I played it last night at LeBain It went off like it does every Wednesday. Uh, You also have Drop Line, which is one of my favorite songs right now by Sal Matrix and DJ Mapuriza. It has a pretty easy dance that everybody can do. And it's led by the DJ. You essentially, you put your two fists up, clap, clap, drop it down. And then, you know, rinse and repeat. And everybody's doing that with you. The whole room is doing that with you. And I got to do it, like, in South Africa a few times when I was there uh, a month or two ago. And uh, it was like, it was amazing. You know, it was just amazing. The whole crowd knows what to do. And I can... Only aspire to have New York be able to, you know, just do that, all of those dances.
0: It's like the South African uh, Macarena, right? Pretty much.
2: Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a piano Macarena. Yeah. I'm a Macarena. You also have a few authentically South African records that you can play as part of that introductory I'm a piano 101 kind of set. They're all from 2020 or. Uh, early 2021 but they still go off because they're considered certified classics. You have Keystar by Focalistic featuring Vigro Deep. Also have John Voley by Mapara a Jazz. So those are certified bangers, and they will always hold you down.:
1: Hey Mo, I had a question. So a lot
2: of the music that
1: you listed, um, is the turnover really quick? With the songs, like they might be hot six to six months to a year, and then it's kinda like it's the kind of old news.
2: Yeah, if if, if that long. Yeah. Six months is really it's really it with Amapiano, because they move so fast. Really? You know? They the producers are in the studio, like, you know, 80, 80 hours a week, they're just working, you know, they make 50 60 records a week nonstop you know and the way they distribute the music is through these whatsapp groups got these whatsapp groups where a bunch of producers are in them some djs are in them some local promoters or what have you and they just drop it in there so you don't have that pipeline of like oh i'm going through a distributor oh i'm doing this and that they put the music out people get it on whatsapp then these websites like Fakaza.com will get it off of these WhatsApps and they'll post it. So it's, it's high quality. It'll be like a 320 MP3, right? And then, you know, 10 days later, it'll be on iTunes. Mm. And then if the, if the record actually makes it to, um, to like charts or hits, then they'll shoot a video. So it's a, the, the pipeline is totally upside down, and you really if if you want to play to South African people who are tapped into their culture, you have to understand that pipeline. If you're just playing to lovers of amapiano, in in New York and Germany and London and Zanzibar, it's not as critical. But when you have a hundred, you know South African people in front of you or two hundred, you better know what time it is and. Don't play a record that was played out eight months ago because they're not going to give you that same energy.
0: You, you, were tell, you were telling me it's impossible to get these records. Like you have to like search, you have to like hit motherfuckers up on WhatsApp. You can't find these records. They're like gold. Some of these I'm a Piano joints, right?
2: When they first come out, yeah, like you'll see somebody do a TikTok video that'll go viral and it will say original audio, right? it won't have the it's not on iTunes it's not on Spotify so you got to wait you got to wait maybe like 2 weeks to be able to get the song but then once it drops after 2 weeks they're easy to get they're on like like i said there's a website called fakaza.com you get a lot of amapiano downloads from there it's free um and at some point they make it to uh, iTunes as well they don't always make it to the iTunes US store because you got You got this U.S. store and then you kind of got like this rest of the world store. So a lot of times I'll be needing um, an an HD version of a song and I'll just like text my peoples in London. I'll be like, yo, is this on the U.K. store? And they'd be like, say less. I got you. They'll download it and send it to me. You got to figure out ways to get the music. Or sometimes I just hit up people in South Africa and I'm like, is this on the WhatsApp group? It's not in mine. Can you send it to me? So you really you really have to be tapped in, like, locally with, like, these DJs and these
1: producers to, like, get these, these this music, like...
2: To get this music that's kind of mainstream. Now, yeah. there are other WhatsApp groups for stuff that's purely underground. That's yeah. never going to hit Spotify. That's never going to hit iTunes. That's, that's, what I was, gonna,
0: that's what I was talking about. Those underground shits that you try to get.
2: All right. Well, those are underground. Those are not the same songs that I'm playing in prime time, at I'm a piano party, right? Mm. But the last hour, like the wind down, the last 30 minutes of the night, when I'm trying to get more soulful, you know, that's when I play those records. Yeah, those are impossible to get. You literally have to be on WhatsApp with the producer from the township in South Africa who made that (laughs) record. That's crazy. And it hit you upside the head, but I love it. It'd be like $5 per WAV file. I'm with it, you know? I said I'm buying 10. Then you PayPal, homie, $50. In South Africa, that goes a long way, right? And I know they don't charge me the same rates as they would like <laughs> local mugs. I'm with it. Like, mm-hmm. let me be the whale, right? Like, go, <laughs> go crazy. Drop like, what it, do you need?
0: Dropping $50 on, on music is crazy. $50 right on
2: like 10 records, you know? It's a lot. Yeah. But not for me, but it's a lot for them to to receive $50. That goes a long way in terms of South African rand.
0: No, no, Mo. I appreciate the breakdown and shit and uh, on Amma Piano and everything. And then, yo, I think a lot of motherfuckers are gonna start downloading those tracks and shit, especially, man. And it's good that it, we spread it out because I know a lot of motherfuckers have been DMing me and asking me they want more of your production. By the way, I know you're gonna drop something else, right?
2: Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to complete an album this year. You know, I gotta figure out wow. how to get the time for it. Uh, I'm, I'm usually pretty efficient as a person, but I feel like I gotta ramp it up to the next level to like serial killer kind of like focus in order to get it done. Well, because, you, don't, you know, don't have
0: a pandemic where everything can shut down and you can spend that time like just focusing on music, right? <laughs> right,
2: that's right. When I, was, when I was at Dreamville Fest, I was actually talking to DJ Puffy about this. Shout out to DJ Puffy. Shout who out to Dreamville Puffy, Fest.
0: right. Yeah, sir. Like,
2: who killed it. We were saying that um, we made a lot of music during lockdown, but then once we started DJing again, it wasn't a matter of having the time. It was a more a matter of like whatever inspiration and drive you need to make music is the same bucket that you DJ a party from. Right. when you DJ, you're—I hate to use the word performing—but you kind of are. You have to read the room. You have to figure out what to play next. You have to read energies. You have to inspire people. You have to like get into it. And then when you're done, you just kind of want to go home and eat a sandwich. You feel me?
0: It's draining. And it's draining. You're yeah. like, you're emptying your creative bucket pretty much. Yeah.
2: yeah. So it's, even if you got four days after that where you're not gigging, it's not straightforward to be like, all right, now I'm in the lab, you know? And also we spend a lot of time researching music, preparing music, setting cue points, all of that. That's all from that same bucket. So I was having that conversation with, um, with Puffy where I'm struggling to find the time to work on music. But I'm, I'm gonna make it work. I'm thinking, if we're being real, I'm thinking I'm gonna get like a personal assistant for the first time in my life.
3: To like,
2: <laughs> just to like free up an extra like 15 to 20 hours a week so I can focus cool. on the music, or else I'm not gonna make it. You know, these gigs are really draining.
0: By the, by the way, uh, I miss Puffy's set, but you know, from what I heard at the Dreamville Fest, and I, 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 and I don't deny it at all, I, I don't question it at all. They said Puffy fucking destroyed that shit at the at Dreamville Festival. You, he, I heard two highlights was Puffy and Dana Lou, and then MoMA was bigging. Actually, MoMo was actually bigging up Jamie and D. Uh, they, he said you guys did a great job because I th- I think if the lineup was like, right, I think the lineup was like Don. Oh, shout to Donovan Jar too. Uh, shout yes. to Drew <coughs> Drew Byrne and uh, Sean G. I heard they got it. They got it popping. And then you guys got on right after uh, Donovan Jarred, and you guys kept it going, and, and y'all were killing it. And Mo Mo was a uh, pleasantly surprised. He's like, "Yo, these guys—they did they fucking yeah. the thing."
2: You know, like I'm 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 highlighting uh, obviously Puffy and and Lu and uh, you know D Miles and Jamie, but that's only because those are some of the few sets that I personally got to witness. Like mm-hmm. the uh, the Dreamville the park was so big that. To get from the, the main stage to the DJ stage was a, was a true trek. You know what yeah. I mean? So Sometimes we have to wait for the golf carts. Sometimes we would just like troop it. But so I didn't get to hear everybody. I didn't get to hear Get Live, for instance. You know, like I really um, I'm not going to say I fought to get Get Live on that lineup. But, you know, I was kind of like, this is. One of the best DJs in the world, you he's, know. He's you fucking
0: nasty. Him. I'm actually kind of mad that I missed his set, man. Yeah. I was yeah. like, "You need him on
2: this lineup. It's gonna be a good look for Dreamville," you know. Um, I fought for Dana Lou, obviously, but again, I didn't have to fight because I'm, I'm, I was curating the whole thing.
0: It was the Everyday People stage at Dreamville, and you curated. Yeah,
2: it. It. It was Everyday People. Say shout out to Adam at uh, a Dreamville. You Adam know? Roy, yeah, yeah. Adam had hit me up maybe in like October or. September, we went for tacos, like around my way. And he was just like, yeah, I want to do a DJ stage at Dreamville Fest. And we just kind of started like ideating on it. And I thought of like, why don't we include road podcast? And initially I was going to have road podcast open on both days uh, under the premise that you guys would then interview every DJ. So road podcast mm-hmm. will kind of be an associate to everyday people on the stage yeah. as a, a DJ presence, you know? Well,
0: it, was, it was almost like we would be hosting the DJ stage. In, in, right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah.
2: And then something really interesting happened uh, when I submitted the programming for the <laughs> for the festival. They were like, you didn't put anyone against the headliners. Saturday, the headliner was Lil Baby. Sunday, the headliner was J. Cole. And I was like, why would I put anyone against them? That's a throwaway set, you know? Right. Like, everybody's going to be at the main stage. And they were like, there's new rules and regulations being rolled out in light of what happened with Travis Scott and all of that, that they want multiple activations at all time, you know, for security purposes. Mm -hmm. So they were like, we still want somebody on that stage. So I thought long and hard about it. I was like, I can't in good conscience, put anyone against Lil baby and and J Cole. So I'm going to take the hit. And then they added two DJs at the last minute. So I was just like, you know what? I know the other motherfuckers that's willing to take the hit and that's not going to trip is Road Podcast. So I kind of consolidated our sets, Saturday versus Lil Baby, DJ MoMA and Road Podcast, Sunday versus J. Cole, DJ MoMA and Road Podcast. Let's just say that Saturday was way more successful than Sunday. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Yo, well, but, but we were fighting well, We were fighting no, a well. few things. We were fighting a few things, Mo. We were fighting the UNC game versus Duke right next to us. We were fighting Wizkid at a point, and then we were fighting Lil Baby at the end of the uh, – So let's just restaurant.
2: say, uh, you know, for the listeners, so Crookin' s- only got in on Sunday. Yo, so wait, wait. Sarah, so
0: break down the yeah, – the who was spending Saturday and Sunday? Saturday would
2: have been me, uh, Jamie, and D-Miles – and then mm-hmm. sunday would have been me and crooked and that's exactly how it went down and like jamie said the duke unc game was being shown on a huge screen uh in, in a field right in between this kid and us so yeah. there was a lot going on but little baby hadn't gone on yet little baby went on during our set um and then on sunday it was just me and Crooked versus J. Cole. And it was pretty lonely, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: <was> Pretty lonely. <laughs> like, I left, I, listen, Jamie and D Miles, I was like, I'm gonna let them go first. We did like 20, 20 and 20, mm-hmm. in terms of 20 minutes each. Mm-hmm. Jamie set it off. You know, he came in with like some T-Pain, 2000s R&B and hip hop. And he just, you know, kept them there. And then D followed with like mostly 100 BPM type of hip hop shit, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. I think you guys read the room perfectly you know and then i got on and i tried to play a little afro if anything i lost the room you know i might have cleared it a little but it was cool people were heading towards a little baby at that point uh but yeah both the outsets were super dope you know super tight and i was just like oh yeah these guys i could tell they they play in clubs a lot they're working djs you know there was no like moments of doubt there was nothing sounding like like wild it was just like yeah these guys know what they're doing Mm -hmm. So it was great because I was so tired. Uh, It was like the first day of Ramadan. I was fasting. And um, I just been running around. I'll call it a campus, but I've been running around the festival grounds all day long, making sure everybody was set up in their trailers. I was basically on this golf cart with Jody. Shout out to Jody. Shout out to to Jody, Jody, man. Yeah, Jody, (laughs) DJ Hospitality. She was the point of contact. Uh, she's the homie. She's from Brooklyn. She lives in Atlanta, but she's been doing stuff with Dreamville at a, at a few festivals. Uh, and so Jody was there for us, man. Anything we needed, she'd pull up in that golf cart, take us, take us to the trailer, take us back to the DJ stage. If, if, if somebody needed a band aid, I think DJ Puffy kind of like injured his hand. Again. <laughs> he ran to the screen. <laughs> he the LCD panel. Cause he had everybody doing the soca dances, right? Yeah. Went to the front of the stage. And so Jody looked out for him. Um, yeah, I don't think we could have did it without Jody, and and I couldn't have probably held down that first night without Jamie and D Miles. So nice. shout to y'all. Nice,
1: wow. yeah. Good. And I will I will also say, man, like I've I've been to a bunch of festivals, and I've never I've never been to a festival where everyone was just so chill. The shit was just like a vibe. Like it felt like I was going to like a family reunion or something. Listen, it man, just, it just it was no egos. You know what I mean? Like everyone was cool. Even when we did interviews, like. You know, everyone's obviously got their own agenda, and whatnot. But for the most part, everyone that we approached was cool. You know what I mean? Like it was just—it was a lot of love, man. I like—I really like that shit.
2: I've never been to a more peaceful, better organized festival. Um, obviously, we were on the artist side of things, mm-hmm. so. But even I've been around like artist VIPs and backstage and all of that, and there's always some sort of tension or like people are running around frantic. It was none of that. And for the people that I know that was just on the ticket holder side of things, they said the exact same thing, you know, so I got to give a shout out to to Dreamville to score more. I think they put together one of the best festival experiences I've ever been a part of. I've never actually been to Coachella. Mm. I've DJed like activations around Coachella, but in terms of production value and logistics and execution in my mind, I've, figure that's how coachella must be run you know and there's an opportunity to make this thing like the black coachella i can't even think of a a black festival that big you know because it was a black thing you know what i'm saying there's all types of people there but make no bones about it it was a black thing like mm-hmm. you go to rolling loud or something like that it's like forty thousand white kids you know what i mean this yes. was just like and then that's why I felt great for everyday people to be uh, involved with it, because it, it just felt like similar to what we're doing, but on a larger scale.
3: Yeah, shout out to uh, Millhouse. We caught one of his sets. He had two sets uh, during the festival. But, yo, that kid, man, he, he put on a show, too. I got to give him his flowers while we're at it. But definitely uh, Dana Lou and Puffy, you put them back to back. That shit
2: was crazy, bro. Yeah. And, you know, I'm I'm trying to get puffy at everyday people this year. Whether we do it, whether we get him in New York or in Toronto, I think he would mash up either. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Dana Lou, you know she's <clears> part of the squad. Get Live is part of the squad. Silent Addy, Fannie Mae, Millhouse. I got Rich Knight. Uh, there's an endless pipeline right now. Of really, really dope DJs uh, uh, for us in New York. So I'm, I'm looking forward. I'm really looking forward to summer. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, know what? I have a, okay. I have
1: a
3: question for for D and Jamie. Was you guys nervous when you got to the stage? Oh, motherfucker, you're telling me. <laughs> was your heart wow. pounding? <laughs> I, I was so nervous. Uh, <laughs> even more so when Momo walks over to me, he goes, yo, what song are you starting it off with? <laughs> and I said, I, I point at the screen, I'm like, I got, I'm sprung by T-Pain. Uh-huh. And he said, isn't T-Pain on the bill? I said, yeah, he's here tomorrow. <laughs> he said, Ease up on the T Pain. I'm like, it's only one song. I was like, oh. But I was like, fuck it. At the end of the day, I was like, we got to just do it. Uh-huh. But yeah, yeah. yeah. It and was, it was.
0: And T Pain didn't even perform that, I think, man. Like, yeah, he
3: didn't even perform his hits. Like, yeah. he got cut off because he ran out of time. Yo, this uh-huh. is, that's
0: how many hits T Pain has. He had, I don't know, like 20, 30 minutes and he, he still couldn't get through all his hits in that time. He,
2: man, wow, there's no crazy. way. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so then come Sunday, right? Now it's. It's me and Crooked. Crooked pulls up. I think your flight was delayed. Crooked.
0: Yeah, it was crazy. It was. It was like, it was during this whole like there was all this like pilot strike shit going yeah. on and and whatnot. And uh, flights were just getting canceled. Like the airport was nuts. But I got there. I got there like uh, a little bit later and stuff like that.
2: You catch boss's Set?
0: I didn't. I didn't catch it, man. Yeah,
1: I think Crooked came at the tail end. He <laughs> came at the tail end of uh, a Boss's set, or maybe you came at the tail end of T Pain. One of those.
0: Yeah, yeah. it was just like yeah, yeah it was a, the tail end of T Pain. I think so. By yeah. that time, Boss was like already done, right?
2: Yeah. yeah. So Bossy killed it, and then by the time we it, it came for our set um, around ten nine thirty or ten, whenever we you and I were on, yeah, uh, there was literally. No one at the everyday people stage. No. Then Crooked, Crooked set it off, and, and started drawing people in. You know, it was impressive. It was very impressive.
0: I brought in like uh, six to eight people. You know, but <laughs> hey, it's fucking Dreamville Fest. Everyone's gonna go on to see Jay Cole. It's Jay like, Cole you know what I'm
2: started playing right. Everybody's yeah. moving to Jay. No, mind you, another thing that killed our set. Oh, I forgot. So, Little Wayne was so late that he, he almost missed his set, which DJ Drama was doing Gangsta Grills with T.I., Jeezy, and Lil Wayne, right? Mm-hmm. And that was supposed to end, I don't know, like 9.45 or whatever, and then we are supposed to get on at that time. They went for an extra 20 minutes after you and I started. So no one, Wayne just showed up right when you and I started. When I heard the roar from that stage and I heard, like, Wayne's voice, We have I was like, ah, wait, wait, no one's coming our way, right? (laughs) So now we starting, and then by the time they ended, it created a really small window for everybody to walk across the park to get to J. Cole, like a like a 10-minute window. And we could see it. It was a mass exodus. People just walking towards Cole. He hadn't started yet. You know, Crooked is DJing his ass off. About six or seven people came our way. I think two of them had food. So they wanted a spot to sit. You know what I'm so two of them found a spot to sit and they were eating their food. A couple of random people were smoking. And then this one girl, God bless her, just came and twerked by herself yeah. for me and Crooked for about 25 minutes. I think, was-
0: I think I got video of this shit. So we'll, we'll put the video in. It, which is, it's pretty sad, but
2: you know. And then I think somebody on Twitter was like, who, who kind of wasn't, like, privy to the inner workings of how the scheduling happened yeah. was, like, mm. like no funny shit, was, like, yo, I don't think DJ Crooked's going to appreciate what MoMA did to him with that booking. <laughs> 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 well,
0: you know you know what it is, Mo. It's, like, at, at this stage in our careers and the DJ shit, it's, like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, I, I'm just happy to be involved and to, like, you know, I think – the main thing I wanted to do was make sure we got some interviews and we hosted the stage and we like talked to all these DJs. And I knew that 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 um that time slot was gonna kinda be a wash and shit. But for me, it's just like I rarely get to DJ with Mo. So for uh, it's just like for me and him, just just like we're just hanging out fucking around. So right. I knew I knew I wasn't gonna be like, you know, these younger DJs and like these uh, these other dudes come up and coming, you know. You want to give them a good time slot. This is like for them so early in their career, it's like it means so much, right? Like, Mo, you were telling me how much them being on the bill and being involved with Dreamville Fest meant to them. You know what I'm saying? And it was just like they were so a lot of them were not all of them, but a lot of them were grateful, right?
2: (laughs) Yeah, the vast majority, extremely humble. And extremely grateful. And I was grateful for them because they killed it. You know, it Dana did. Lou had a gig in New York the night before. And she was on a 6 a.m. flight in order to make it for her 3 p.m. set time. And she killed it. You know, Puffy came from Barbados. Yeah. You know, came all the way yeah. from Barbados. So I'm like, no, I had no,
3: no, no, no. He was in Toronto doing a gig and he was on three hours of sleep as well. Yeah. And he flew down.
2: Yeah. yeah, so he, so, yeah also. He, he came and rocked with us. You know, I was just like, I was very humbled that they all made their way out there and that right. they, gave, they gave their mm-hmm. best. And if me, if I'm just going to like take a an L and DJ against J. Cole, it's fine. I've seen J. Cole a million times. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I've DJed yeah. every day people a million times, and I was just glad that that crooked, you know, kind of had like the same mentality.
0: No. <laughs> Mo was like, yo, so we have the the death slot, you know what I'm saying? Like we have the the worst slot. He's like, I'm gonna drag you with me, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, yeah, all right, cool, let's do That's it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm like, let's, let's do it. I don't want the pressure of like being in front of all of these people and I'm like, yo, man, I gotta fucking turn up now. I gotta get on the mic and like overwork myself. I just worked last night. You know oh, what man. I'm saying? <laughs> it
2: was day two of I was low on energy, man. I was low on energy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, Mo, I got a, uh,
1: me and Jamie, we were kind of fascinated. I think it was su- Saturday, no, Sunday, we were walking in and uh, we walked through the back way just to kind of like, like figure out the lay of the land. We were just walking and talking and we were like, yo, this is kind of crazy how like this land was for 150 or 160 years. It was a uh, slave plantation land. Mm -hmm. and so for us you know as minorities to be on this land at a festival and join ourselves with black music and you know just culturally cultural music in general like for this place to have been that kind of you know have that kind of a setting and then be a mental institution later and then for us to be there like i was thinking in our our heads like cole had to have known this right and cole had to like
2: they 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 knew the the history of the park mm -hmm. and um they worked really closely with the city of Raleigh, you know, to make this thing happen. Like this was the second Dreamville Fest; uh, the yeah. first one in, in 2019, and it was like the first go-around for everyone. Uh, but the city of Raleigh was there for us, and but this time everybody stepped their game up. They really they opened up every doors to Dreamville, um, mm-hmm. and 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 I think Dreamville showed improved, and it was it was great for the community. It was great for us to be able to do something in a park that's historically black but mm-hmm. maybe until then was considered the hood park or something, not yeah. the nice park, you know, not the central mm-hmm. park of, mm-hmm. uh, of Raleigh. And to, you know, elevate the park uh, and increase its visibility around the world. You know, I'm not from Carolina, but uh, J. Cole is, you know, and shout out to like Fannie Mae and DJ Bird, Birdsey, uh, Seabird C- C- Bird Go. I'm sorry, Seabird C- Go, who's also from North Carolina. You know, I think for them, they must have felt that it was a historic moment. And I think we were just happy to be a part of it. Yeah. You know? yeah.
0: It's, it's crazy, though. Like, D, you were putting me on to, to shit when we were even, like, driving around and, and walking around. But you see, like, evidence of, like, slavery, like, the slavery yeah. shit, like, from back in the day. Like, you were telling me, like, all these houses that we were, like, walking by.
1: Yeah. Because, like, you, you know, know? my, uh, like, there's, there's areas in Georgia that are very similar to Raleigh, um, like different places where they like to have these massive plots of land. And you'll have like the larger house that maybe the family stood in. And then maybe some of the, uh, I guess, slaves that are near good graces might have their own space. And then you have like the field hands that might have like a certain space. And then you saw evidence of that in the park through the infrastructure and through like how some of the homes were built that might have been turned into libraries now or different things. And so up for us to be walking through it. I was just telling Jamie and Krug, I was like, yo, like there's gotta be some history to this land. We should look this shit up. And sure enough, Jamie sent me a, a clip. Like I think right when we got back with Dorothy Dix and her history, which was, it was Dorothy Dix Park. Yeah. So he sent me, uh, the history of that. And literally it was literally for 160 years, it was uh slave plantation land. And then after that, it became a mental, uh, mental health facility. So, you know, who knows what was going on with the mental health facility and who knows what kind of crazy things probably happened during that time. But, for the land to be what it was to see where it is now. And, and like for us to all get together and like be listening to dope music and coming together at a, as a festival. Like that shit was blind, mind blowing to me, bro. Yeah. But you, yeah, but
0: you also uh, saw houses, like you saw regular houses with like smaller houses next to it.
1: Yeah. yeah. So it was
0: like, you, you almost saw yeah. like every house had like a smaller, like shed next to it. Like which the was outhouse. Behind it. Yeah. yeah. Which was mm-hmm. like, which is either like, I guess where the slave hands used to live or whatever. And like, I guess you're saying they can't tear it down because it's like, has Yeah, A lot of those, value.
1: a lot of States, a lot of States in Momo, you could probably chime in and know a little bit better than me, but a lot of the States, like in the South, they have these ordinances where you can't really remodel or tear down and rebuild on, on p- pieces of land for historical value. Yeah. So just for the same reason they probably named that a historical park. Like they, they can't ever touch that land. Like it's, it's historical. They can't remodel landmark, it. Like, historical landmark.
3: Dude, in the park, there's even like a uh, like an abandoned fucking factory, right? See, we ran into yeah. that. <laughs> and it, was, it was just like a big 10, two big 10s of stuff. He goes like, "Yo, they had to process shit through there. And then there was a railroad right next to it. I went like, who puts a fucking railroad in the middle of a park? So there's a lot of just weird shit that it caught on to us. And we're like, oh, shit, this might be something more than just a regular park. Uh, Thank yeah. you for having us, uh, Mo. Appreciate uh, that. Man, and, man. and your whole team and stuff like that. Maine was so dope and... Jody, shout out to everybody. It was a hit. It was
2: a hit. They were happy, so hopefully we'll do it again.
3: Thanks for tuning into the Road Podcast. Don't forget, every
0: Wednesday we have new episodes on all major streaming platforms, and every Thursday the video versions go up on our YouTube page. Please subscribe to our channel, YouTube.com/slash Road Podcast, and to find exclusive clips of the pod, please visit YouTube.com/slash DJ City. And we'll see you next Wednesday.